Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Monday, the 8th of June. Happy birthday, Helga. Um, Thank you to all of you who uh, have been praying for my mom. For those of you who have experienced open heart surgery or have a loved one who has experienced it, you know that we have a long road ahead of us, but um, every day we make incremental progress. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for your continuing prayers um, for me and my family and others like us who are experiencing all kinds of healthcare challenges um, in the middle of a pandemic and how that has changed not only the delivery, uh, but the experience of healthcare for many, many people across the country. So thank you uh, to those of you uh, on the front lines of healthcare today as well. Okay, so we are experiencing what has been, I'm not the first person to describe it this way, a convergence Um a convergence, I will describe it as a convergence of storylines or experiences in our nation today. And each and every one of those streams is disturbing, disorienting, and disruptive. When they all come together, it is, uh, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. And so in the same way that you can never step in the same river twice, which if you've never heard that phrase before, I'll give you a moment to think about it. You can never step in the same river twice Um, And so in the same way that you can never step through the same river twice, even if you walk through it every day, um, we, we, this particular people at this particular moment in history, at the convergence of all of these um, various streams, we can all admit together that we've literally never been here before. Yes, others have been in places um, that were in some ways similar But it wasn't us, and it wasn't now, and it wasn't all of this. Never, literally never, has the American experiment of free market democracy been tested in quite the way that it's being tested now. So how do we respond? Um, Because how we respond not only produces the future into which we will walk, it reflects just how settled we are in the peace we have been professing all along. So what has converged at this moment in history? Well, uh, several realities. The COVID-19 pandemic, with its resultant economic shutdown and related social isolation, have converged with what can certainly be described as an ongoing stream of unarmed black men who have died at the hands of those under an oath to protect and serve them. And while it might be tempting to write this off as a police problem in a particular city, we all know better than that. And so... Um, While it also might be tempting to write this off as a problem for some group of people of some particular skin uh, pigmentation in some particular place, that would be equally fallacious, and we all know it. So these are our challenges, each of us and all of us, and we're going to face them together. Now, I recognize that over um, the last several days, some of you have reached out, and I want to thank you for doing so, but you've reached out with messages of anger, angst, 
concern, um, outright demands for uh, me to be replaced. I mean, I get it, right? Not everybody likes this conversation and you don't like that we're having the conversation um, because we are going to talk openly on this program about the gospel's relevance to the headline news of this day. Um, and so uh, I know that you're, you know, you're hoping that this conversation is going to go away. Um, it's not going to go away. And platitudes of peace are insufficient for the moment in which we now live. So we cannot be anything but honest. I cannot be anything but honest with you about what I observe and hear and see and interpret and with you then live together through these days. There are flickers of hope and, um, and those we need to fan and we will. But I, um, I refuse to be fooled into imagining that this moment is just going to pass away. Time seems to be very ripe for change. And that change, um, I believe, is going to result in um, transformations in some systems in which we have grown very comfortable. Education, healthcare, criminal justice, policing, housing, urban and rural development, governance, on and on and on. Cultural change um, happens in a couple of ways. It happens at the individual heart level. And then when a sufficient number of individual hearts have been changed towards something and, and individual minds changed over time, um, a, something called a tipping point is reached. And until so many people agree that everything must change, suddenly everything changes. And so the suddenly everything changes moment, it's possible uh, that has arrived. And so if we have arrived at one of those page-turning transitions in human history, uh, let us not be ones who miss it. I know that is really frightening con- to consider. Um, and I and I think it's important if it's really scary for you, we have to acknowledge and recognize it's it's an an- it's literally an answer to prayers that other people have been praying f- for hundreds of years. So for those who have been praying for God to bring about a tipping point, this looks like an answer to prayer. I realize it does not look like that to everyone. So for many of us, it's time to listen and learn and consider and pray and ponder and think creatively and begin to dream together with people um, whom, with whom we have long lived near but not really with. So those are the conversations that we're going to have. And if it seems really, really scary um, to, uh, to arrive at a place where there's just a bunch of choppy water and hear God say, uh, come and walk with me, hey, we are actually not the first people to have experienced that. All right. Uh, first up this morning, Zach Jenkins is back. We are going to... Uh, make our weekly uh, roundup on the coronavirus and progress that has been made. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, Dr. Zach Jenkins is back with us today. Uh, we are going to talk about updates related to the coronavirus. Zach, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. All right, I'm hearing um, I'm hearing about Operation Warp Speed. That sounds exciting. What is Operation Warp Speed? So Operation Warp Speed is the president's uh, solution to bringing a vaccine to market relatively quickly. Um, the whole idea behind it is we have like over a hundred candidates four vaccines throughout the world. Some are in preclinical stages where they haven't been tested in humans yet. 
and others are entering into the human stages of testing. So the idea is to bring one of those to market as quickly as we can. All right. So um, that's going to be a developing story that we are going to watch. Um, I think that, uh, you know, people pretty excited about the prospect of a vaccine related to the coronavirus. Um, Hydroxychloroquine is back in the news. Um, Can you tell me why? Yeah, so that's that's a really tough subject. And actually, it's kind of an interesting linkage to Operation Warp Speed. So one of the concerns with Operation Warp Speed right now that's being raised is trying to bring a vaccine to the market too quickly may mean that we actually circumvent some of the normal safety measures and good science that, that we're actually using um, when we typically are doing all these different studies. Um, on that note, in the news recently, there were two major articles that were retracted, one in the New England Journal of Medicine and the other in Lancet, both of which are major medical journals that are highly regarded. And and they were retracted in a very, very short period of time. In fact, I don't know if I've ever seen anything retracted so quickly. But what they found out was there was a company called Surgisphere that these uh, studies had utilized to have a database of patient information with COVID. Um, and so these patients, I think there was about 96,000 patients from over 160 hospitals or, or countries worldwide. I, I could be a little bit wrong on that statement there. But there was a large, large volume of patients. And so the question was, well, how did you get this data so quickly? And, and there's, there seemed to be some inconsistencies in the data that the scientists uh, were actually seeing after this was published. And it, a couple of people called uh, to basically have Surgisphere share their data, and the company actually wouldn't do it um, because they wanted to have it independently reviewed. And so that actually caused all the major uh, or several of the major authors in both of these studies to retract the article. So the authors themselves put the article out. Hmm. Okay, so the research continues. Um, let's talk briefly about um, research on hydroxychloroquine as a prophylactic. First of all, starting with remind us what a prophylactic is. So a prophylactic is something that you take to prevent something. Um, so with hydroxychloroquine, it's being looked at in three different ways right now. One being the most obvious would be treatment of people that actively have a virus. But the other two ways that, that we're looking at it right now, um, one is pre-exposure prophylaxis, meaning I could take it before I get exposed to the virus and it would prevent me from getting the virus. And the other way it's getting looked at as, is as a post-exposure prophylaxis, where I take it after I've been exposed to someone who's actively carrying the virus to prevent myself from getting it. Okay, and then um, in, in what will sound to you like something I heard from a friend over the weekend? What if I couple it with zinc? So that's actually a great question. Um, so hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> I, I spend all weekend trying to come up with a great question for you. There you go. <laughs> so hydroxychloroquine is, is actually a zinc ionophore. And what that means is it helps your uh, different cells in your body actually take up more zinc than they normally can. And so zinc itself has been associated with uh, inactivating one of the enzymes that causes viral replication. And so there's some thought that maybe there's a benefit to giving zinc with hydroxychloroquine because you can in- increase the amount that you're absorbing if there's some kind of linkage there. But, you know, we don't really know for sure whether that's true or not at this stage. Right. But it is why I buy zinc lozenges. To because a cold, a cold is a variety of a coronavirus. Like this goes back to like the very first conversations that 
we even had, you know, we had. And so it doesn't surprise me that the conversation about um, maybe let's see if zinc along with hydroxychloroquine, like, but we are definitely in the stage where lots of things are still being tested because there's just lots of things about this virus that are yet unknown. Uh, Dr. Zach Jenkins and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. I'm talking with him because not only does he use um, big words, the meaning of which I have to have him define, but he's a professor of pharmacy practice and a real doctor treating real people with COVID-19 in Northeast Ohio. So we'll be right back. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Continuing my conversation with Zach Jenkins. He is a professor at Cedarville University, um, and he is an expert in things that we need help understanding in relationship to the coronavirus, COVID-19 right now. So, Zach, let's talk about, let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about um, the exposure that people may have had or may be having now in the midst of protests, not only here in the United States of America, um, but around the world as well, and sort of the expectations that people like you have when you look at, um, you know, the pictures on the screen of people, obviously, there's no social distancing. Um, There's no periodic hand washing. Um, There's lots of loud uh, speech. And there are some masks, but not everyone's wearing one. Yeah, so it's it's really kind of a tough call to say exactly what will happen so far, but we do have some cause for concern. Um, so, So while we don't necessarily know how readily the virus will spread outdoors, which is where many of these protests are taking place, um, the, the issue we run into is, as you've seen some of these images, people aren't necessarily wearing masks when they're so close together and screaming, which can project viral particles much farther and actually cause them to aerosolize in some cases and hang around in the air for long periods of time. So that's a concern. Another concern that we have is with the tear gas that's being used in, in a lot of these demonstrations. Um, there, are, there are a couple of things related to it, one of which is we think that the gas itself can kind of serve as a carrier for some of the viral particles as it starts to spread, um, particularly when people are screaming, et cetera, then the virus can kind of actually hang around a little bit more readily and it's like a vehicle of transmission. Um, the other thought is that these things typically cause a lot of inflammation. And so we're concerned uh, about people basically having this massive inflammatory response that can really impair their ability to deal with the uh, coronavirus itself. All right, Zach, in, um, in other things related to this, um, I do feel like part of the reason, I mean, this is just part, it's so one contributing factor to so many people um, choosing to participate in an activity that does certainly put them at risk. But part of it is we're just so tired of being inside. We're just so tired of being in social isolation. Um, when you talk with patients in the hospital, when we talk with others in your community about how long, really, short of a vaccine, how long we really need to continue to socially distance, even even as, as you know, things that that we want to do come back online. Um, what are you telling people? What are the conversations you're having? Well, at, at this stage in the game, I, I think it's, it's a fair statement to say that the virus has not gone away. It's probably not going to go away for a little bit of time here. And really, we still don't know what the summer is going to do with the virus, and uh, we don't know what the fall is going to look like. 
So we kind of have to get used to this idea that we may have to pivot back and forth and be flexible as conditions change around us, uh, which is kind of hard because we all get used to being in our comfort zone. But obviously in a case like this, our comfort zone is going to be shifting quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So we have to think about what does that mean? Um, whether we have to shift back to online on occasion for work, you know, at the university, we're having conversations about, do we shift online eventually if we have to, do we do a hybrid model, a delivering education? There's, there's a lot of those conversations that are going on right now. So I think that the biggest thing is just getting people used to being flexible in sort of these turbulent times. And then, um, let's just return to the frontline worker conversation. Um, when I think about fatigue, when I think about um, just relentless, um, ongoing work pressure, um, you know, I know that there are some folks in some industries that are feeling that, but nobody more acutely maybe right now, um, well, police officers, I'll put them at the top of the list, but other than police officers, maybe nobody feeling it more acutely right now than frontline healthcare workers. So just remind us um what it's like right now and um, maybe specifically how we could be praying and serving our frontline healthcare workers uh, in this season. You know, it's, it's, it's a challenging time um, in healthcare for a few different reasons. We, we, in order to create the infrastructure that we needed to handle a lot of these COVID cases, we modified a lot of our practices. So we made it to, to the point where we didn't have as many patients coming in for elective surgeries and things like that to free up hospital beds. Um, but what that I, I haven't even been, I haven't even been to have my like teeth cleaned, right? Like yeah, I feel exactly. like, oh, I can put that <laughs> off a while, but at some exactly. point I'm going to go and I've probably, you know, I probably missed something in there. <laughs> well, you know, when we did these things, um, what, what that really did financially for a lot of these healthcare systems is, is it uh, really disrupted their revenue stream. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of concern right now, and we're already seeing it where people have been furloughed or uh, you've got healthcare workers that uh, maybe have hours cut and things like that. And maybe we'll get back to a semblance of normal, but we, know, we don't know what that looks like. Um, and while the cases in many, many places have either stabilized or are trickling down in some instances, uh, what what we're still seeing is is long shifts with a lot of people. We're seeing people, you know, you have to get your temperature checked every day. You have to come in and you're wearing a mask all day long. Um, so there's there's kind of like a psychological component where it sort of wears on you. It's like a war of attrition. Hmm. Um, I just want to, you know, I, I think I just want to say thank you again um, to you because you're here. But to you on behalf of so many others um, who it's one thing to sort of be living through this um, in jobs that are, you know, only affected in particular ways. It's another thing to be in an occupation and in a field that's affected in from every direction um, and in every direction. And so um, thank you for what you do. Thank you for continuing to help us understand what is happening, what we're learning, recognizing that this is a new virus and everyone is, um, is seeking to know more and more. And so uh, as information about it continues to come available and we continue to respond to it um, individually and collectively as a people and globally, um, just thank you for helping us do that, Zach. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Let's continue to pray for Zach and others like him on the front line of the COVID-19 crisis. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. 
So Paul Borthwick um, was a missionary. He is now uh, a professor at Gordon-Conwell. Um, he's written a series of books. One of my, my favorites, um, which is now several years old, is Six Dangerous Questions to Transform Your View of the World. Uh, he has written several books that actually help the church understand our mission in the world and missions in the world. And so uh, what he offers now is a book called Mission 316. And we're going to talk about the mission of God in the world and how we are on the mission of God in the world. Uh, John 3.16 is the verse upon which uh, the book the book structure is created. So ponder John 3.16 for a few moments uh, as we turn to a conversation with Paul Borthwick. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so we are... I think, as of this morning, 77, am I right if I use that number, Paul? 77, the number I'm looking at? Uh, approximately, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, $77,000 away from being fully funded, fully funded, the Faith Radio Network this year. And so joining me now, Steve Young. He's a station manager for Life 104.7 uh, FM and AM 1190 in Madison. Steve, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's always good to be with you. Good morning. Good morning. So short of me just open uh, asking a wide open question like, hey, what's going on in Madison? Um, maybe <laughs> m- maybe you and I focus in on um, if somebody's listening and they enjoy the programming that they experience here, but they've never um, they've never gotten sort of out of the stands and onto the field and begun participating with us. Maybe we could speak directly to that group of people this morning. Why give right now in terms of helping us, um, you know, cover the gap between here and being fully funded as a ministry? Yeah, right. Well, that's a great question. And I think, you know, 2020 is kind of the the answer to that question for a lot of people. I mean, what, what a just extraordinary year it's been so far. And, you know, Faith Radio has always been there to help us know how to respond biblically to things going on around us. But I think that's been especially the case uh, the last few months, even the last few weeks. You know, how, how do I respond? What, what am I to think of what's going on? And so even if, you, even if you study and pray a lot, it still can be difficult to know. And so I, I just think programs on faith radio like uh, breakpoint and others or you know you and the other host and the guests you talk to just do such a great job of helping us you know understand a, a biblical world view and so the other part of that is so many friends can't give because of what's going on and so we've seen i think a lot of people uh decide for the first time that that they need to step up uh you know in ways that they haven't done before uh, whether that's volunteering or praying or or giving, and so uh, it's a, it's really amazing that we're, as you said, what seventy seven thousand dollars away from being fully funded, uh, and we've got that to go between now and June thirtieth. So uh, I would I would hope that a lot of people would consider maybe making that first time gift ever to close that gap. Uh, you can do that, you know, right right now. You can go to myfaithradio.com. You can. Uh, text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484, uh, or you can call that number 
and press 2 and give that way. That's 877-933-2484. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, like Chuck Colson used to say, you know, how now shall we live? Uh, Faith Radio really helps us all with that and the investments they've made in our communities. That's Steve Young, station manager of Life 104.7 and AM 1190 in Madison, Wisconsin. Steve, thanks so much for being with us this morning. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Carmen, and uh, blessings on on you and the whole Faith Radio team. Likewise, likewise. Blessings on uh, all our friends listening now in Madison uh, and across the Faith Radio network and around the world on MyFaithRadio.com and on the Faith Radio app. Wherever you listen, you can give right there. Um, And if you're listening right now and you have access to a phone, give us a call, 877-933-2484. You could also text the word GIVE to that same number. Otherwise, just give online at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Have you ever had an old picture come back to haunt you? You know, the ones where you're wearing moon boots and a pair of really, really tight, high-waisted jeans? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Our parents tried to warn us, but some lessons can't be learned any other way. And today's teens aren't any different. They'll still adopt peculiar fashions and listen to questionable music, all in the name of fitting in. So if you're perplexed by your child's goofy hairstyle or crazy outfit, take a deep breath. It's probably nothing more than a healthy pursuit of independence and personal validation. Just be sure to take a lot of pictures, and someday they can look back and realize how dorky they really look. Someday, you'll both be laughing. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Again, ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Joining me now, Paul Borthwick. Uh, Paul is a senior consultant for Develop Associates International. His books include Western Christians and Global Missions, Six Dangerous Questions to Transform Your View of the World, Great Commission, Great Compassion, The Fellowship of the Suffering, lots and lots of books. Today he's joining me uh, to talk about his latest book, Mission 316, God's One Verse Invitation to Love the World. Paul Borthwick, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. John 3.16 may be the most well-known verse of the Bible. Um, It does not appear in isolation. Talk with us about this verse um, and and then how this verse is not only God's mission, but just really a great invitation to all of us to to love the world. Well, obviously, it's in the context of a conversation with Nicodemus, John chapter 3, And Nicodemus is confronted by Jesus about his need to be born again. Jesus refers to the fact that he, Jesus, is going to be lifted up, uh, implying his cross or predicting his cross. And then he gives this verse that so many of us memorized, maybe from Sunday school, maybe from the first verse after we became followers of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it's in the context of that conversation that some of the words take on some of the greatest meaning, especially the world. Because Nicodemus would have expected Jesus, a fellow rabbi, to say, Nicodemus, God so loved the Jews, or God so loved our people, or God so loved um, the, the chosen people. 
But Nicodemus has his worldview expanded, if I could say it this way, a little bit blown away by the fact that uh, Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, God so loved the world. And it's not just my people. And in this day and age, with all the different issues going on, it's not just my ethnicity. It's just, just my, not, not just my ethnic heritage or my color. It's God so loved the world. And, uh, and that an amazing target of God and his love is every person. So the book is excellent. I mean, you, you go through um, the what we might call, I, I, I'm tempted to call them phrases, but they're not even full phrases, um, you know, for God, God being the great initiator of mission, so loved, love being the motivation for mission, the world, the entire human population and even creation itself that he gave. Uh, sacrifice as the foundation of God's mission, and then his his one and only son, um, Jesus, as, you know, literally the pivot around which this entire conversation turns, that whoever believes in him, um, being the mission of God uh, offered as an invitation and call for response by those of us who believe, shall not perish, God's love blending with judgment um, and the the consequences of our condemnation um, being dealt with, um, and then, but have eternal life and this eternal significance, uh, not only of loving God in the here and now, but having the opportunity to, uh, to be in that relationship with him forever and ever. Um, and again, friends, the book is Mission 316. Paul Borthwick is the author. Um, I, I really, uh, and I don't hasten through the conversation about this book for any, uh, for any reason or motivation other than I really want to have um, a conversation about the moment in which we find ourselves here as mm. American Christians. And so um, is it okay with you if we pivot from a conversation that's directly about this book? And maybe uh, it is about the book, but to turn to a conversation about the culture and this moment in which we find ourselves? Go for it. So you have uh, lived globally, worked glo- globally, um, and I feel like the conversations that we're having now about race and about justice um, and about uh, how how we live together as people and how Christians can lead that conversation in the culture, I just feel like you are in a position to help us have a conversation um, that's been going on globally in ways that we've not been having here in the United States. So can you just bring your life experience and witness to bear on the moment in which we find ourselves? Oh, I'll do my best. That's obviously a very complex subject, which I haven't written a whole book about just because it is so complicated. But I believe all the stresses and strains we're wrestling with globally uh, go back to the Garden of Eden. And when sin enters the world, people begin to find their identity by looking down on someone else. So when when Adam and Eve sin, Adam blames the woman, the woman blames the snake, and they both blame God. And from that point on, we all become, in a sense, like the Pharisee in Luke 18. I thank you, God, I'm not like this person. And so in our country, it's primarily manifested itself by the majority people, those of us of European white skin heritage, sort of condescending towards those who are outside of our group. And uh, even though we say that all people are created equal, sometimes we don't live that way. And we have sort of stereotypes about each other. 
And I think the first place for all of us is to realize that all of us have someone that we look down on uh, so we feel better about ourselves. It's called, um, in sociology, they use the term oppositional identity. You know, my identity at your expense. Men do it against women. Uh, blacks against Hispanics. Hispanics against, you know, in, in their own countries, you know, Argentinians might look down on El, El Salvadorans. And, and so it's, it's an it's a epidemic problem around the world since we've been talking about pandemics. You know, it's not just, and the protests around the world illustrate this fact as well. But it has to be done on a, it has to be reconciled on a personal level. Uh, first of all, each of us dealing with our own sense of security and who we are. And it starts by recognizing that I have within me the capacity as a racist or as a ethnic supremacist or whatever you want to call it, but someone who wants to find someone else to look down on so that I feel better about myself. And it's only in our relationship with, in Christ that we can find a sense of security in who we are. And when we're secure in who we are, we don't need to have other people to condescend to. And we're secure enough to listen to the pain, in this case of the, uh, the African-American community, the people who are in our own communities, to listen to their pain and not try to pretend like we can fully empathize because we can't, we haven't been through it if we're white and live in middle-class America like me, but just to listen to it. One of my African-American colleagues told me, he says, Paul, when you see a policeman, you feel protected. He says, when I see a policeman, I feel suspected. And, you know, it's his story. I can't deny that he feels that way. And I, I mean, it's not my job to, at that point in time, defend all policemen. The issue is we have, this is why they keep saying it's called, using this term, systemic racism. And to fold back just for a moment on the book, uh, the chapter on God's love, chapter three, I, I like to ask the question about to myself and to anybody else, how would my relationships with people change if the first thing I said was this is a precious person created in the image of God? You know, Republicans versus Democrats, Democrats versus Republicans, old versus young, all these things. We have these judgments beforehand. What if my prejudgment was, this is a precious person created in the image of God. How would that change the way that I pray for them or, or love them or demonstrate love towards them? Was that more than you wanted? <laughs> no, that's perfect. And I would love to continue um, this conversation and we'll, uh, we'll fold the two conversations together. The book is Mission 316, God's One Verse Invitation to Love the World, Paul Borthwick is my guest, and we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Professor Paul Borthwick. You can um, find everything that he has written and more um, really fantastic stuff at paulborthwick.com. One of the books that he's written, his most recent book, I think it actually releases tomorrow, Mission 316, God's One Verse Invitation to Love the World. Um, Paul, listener, uh, listener comment here on oppositional identity. Um, I grew up 
um, as the child of a dad who had a red tractor, and we were not allowed to ride the merry-go-round at the county fair at the same time as the kids whose dads had green tractors. (laughs) So I'm telling you, in rural America, we will find a way to divide ourselves based on the color of the tractor. I am going to guess here that the... um, the farm all kids were not considered as elite as the uh, John Deere kids. I think that's probably what was going uh, on, right? I would imagine it's, yeah, Mercedes-Benz versus, uh, you know, a Volkswagen, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we find a way. And e- even in the Bible, in Acts chapter 17, uh, this isn't in the book, I should add, but in Acts chapter 17, um, the Athenians, the people of men of Athens that Paul was speaking to, believed that they were especially descendant from the gods, the Greek gods. And Paul absolutely blows away their worldview when he says in Acts 17, 26, that all of us came from one man, meaning Adam and Eve, or referring to back to creation or Noah, whichever one you go, go with. But the idea being we're all, in a sense, not in, we're not yet all blood brothers in Christ's blood, but we're blood brothers in blood. In other words... That black man, that that uh, Chinese woman, her blood can save my life because we're all one. God loves the diversity, but we use the diversity as a way to, in a sense, condescend. And it, it almost anything that ends in ism, ethnocentrism is my my people are greater than your people. You know, racism is my race is superior to your race. Uh, sexism my gender is superior to you. All those things are fundamentally built on this idea that I need to find somebody to look down on. There's sort of a sad story where it goes like this, that the the president of the company um, basically maligns the vice president. The vice president maligns the manager. The manager maligns the co-worker. The co-worker maligns the line worker. The line worker goes home and maligns his wife. The wife maligns the kids and the kids kick the dog. I mean, everybody needs someone beneath them. That's the way sin has affected our sense of identity. And we need to be able to say, like Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am who I am. You know, and, uh, and, and we, we need to see, have a peace of mind so that we're secure enough to listen to the other side. You know, part of what we're seeing in terms of happening is the loss of civility in our country. We can't have a discussion about who you voted for without it becoming a fight. Like, if you don't agree with me 100%, we can't be friends. And we're supposed to be people who are able to to manage truth, listen to it. I remember a book years ago, um, uh, and the title was the, caught my eye. It says, we have heard the enemy, and he's partly right. In other mm. words, we ha- we have to be willing to hear that some of the complaints that are happening here, I, I, you know, you can, if you Google systemic racism, there's all sorts of arguments of whether it is true or isn't true. But the reality is it only needs to be partly true to be true for a lot of people. And all that's all that's to say, we need to really l- listen hard. I, I appreciated the, the comment that uh, uh, both the, uh, what's the football player, Drew Brees, I think it is. And, mm-hmm. um, and the vice president both said in the last week, we need to listen more. And I think that's really one of the, that's the first step in building relationships to, to cross the room and shake hands and listen to the other person's story. 
Um, so it's just a, you know, it's a, a really big challenge, but it actually, it's amazing to me because obviously when a book's written, you send in your final draft, you know, eight or 10 months before it comes out. But the idea that this theme of God loving every person, you know, is, uh, is such a necessary item right now in our times. Incredibly timely. Um, not surprised to me that it's timely uh, because it is the enduring mission of God in the world. He intends it to yes. be extended to others through those who believe in Christ and on Christ. Uh, Paul Borthwick, thank you for um, thank you for speaking in in a tone um, that we can hear. Thank you for inviting us to continue to listen uh, not only to the Word of God but to the experience of those around us that we might bring the gospel to bear in, in new ways, in new ways to new generations, to people with whom um, maybe we have failed to be reconciled in meaningful ways. Um, thank you for joining us today. The book is Mission 316. You can check out this book and, um, and frankly, uh, a lot of other great stuff about Paul at paulborthwick.com. Mission 316. We'll be right back. Are you a green tractor person? Are you a red tractor person? I am an old tractor person. Uh, my old tractor happens to be green, but uh, she not fancy by any stretch of the imagination. All right, and then, you know, there's like the tractor people and then the anti-tractor people. Maybe you're just an anti-tractor person. I don't know. All right, oppositional identity is the language that you guys uh, were looking for me to repeat. Paul Borthwick, uh, the author. We got another Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.